Okay, so uh, we're going to get right into it. We're going to go right into, uh, we've got probably three more sermons, uh, and I figured out what they're going to be about this week. Three more sermons in David, aren't you glad? So here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to start by, anybody heard of Alan Eckert? Read any of his books? Couple? Okay, Alan Eckert, uh, historically, he writes these incredible historical books on the American frontier. He has a an award-winning six-book series called The Winning of America. He has a book on the life of Tecumseh, uh, Blue Jacket, The Dark and Bloody River. My favorite is The Frontiersman. It's the first in that series. I'm probably going to reread these things after I was looking it up uh, over the summer. But in this Winning of America series, Eckert tells the tale of a, a guy named Hezekiah Bucky, uh, Kai to his friends. Uh, he's a member of what's called Brady's Rangers. These were there's an infamous, famous guy named Sam Brady who got these guys together, about 12 to 14 guys, and when uh, war tribes would raid homes on the Howe River Valley, they would track them down, get back the children, get back the women, and then eliminate the war tribe. They were so feared by all the native tribes in that whole area from ever doing that kind of stuff amongst the villagers. Uh, so he um, has... They have a day off, and he and Sam are going out hunting. And it turned into this contest of, like, who's going to bring back the bigger game, right? So on October 20th, 1779, he's out, and he steps into this clearing, and he starts grinning from ear to ear because there in a tree is a medium-sized black bear, and this is the prize. He knows he's going to win. And the bear's just munching on honey, warm, sweet honey. Bees are buzzing all around him. Uh, he takes his rifle up, he takes aim, he starts to squeeze the trigger, but then he hears, quote, a much deeper, gruffer growl behind me that fills the whole clearing. His bear was not alone. Evidently, this girl bear has a boyfriend bear. And the boyfriend bear is staring at him not but 10 yards away as he spins around and he looks right into the eye of this massive mountain of a black bear. That's surprise number one. Kai swings his rifle up again. He takes aim at the black hole of an eye in that bear's head. He pulls the trigger. The hammer goes down. The pan flashes, but there's no explosion. It doesn't. It's a misfire. Surprise number two. And then the bear charges, which is not a surprise. What we're going to do in these next three sermons is this. The last four chapters of David's life are a complete surprise. Uh, nobody knows what to do with them, so I'm just going to tell you. Nobody knows what to do with them. Nobody knows how these last four chapters fit into the puzzle of David. So I'm not going to pretend that I do, but I am going to point out to you the obvious, and that is that everyone is surprised by the last four chapters, and maybe that's the point. Maybe you're supposed to be surprised by the last four chapters. Maybe these last four chapters of David's life are supposed to reach you in a surprising way. And maybe this is the way you're supposed to read the Bible. What if you're supposed to read the Bible by letting it surprise you? What a great way to read the Bible. The Bible is something strange, and it's always surprising. It doesn't matter which story is so familiar to you because the Bible is a living and active power. 
It's God actually showing up in a personal, active way in the scriptures. It's always surprising. What a great way to read the Bible. So this morning, these next three Sundays, we're going to let the Bible surprise us. Surprise us about three things about David that are more like the dominating big ideas of his whole life. We have just seen and gone through a series on his life. These last four chapters are trying to tell you this is the takeaway. These are the takeaways. So with that, let's stand for the hearing of God's word. 2 Samuel 21, 15, there was again, that phrase is going to be used four times. Just a side note, I, I didn't even, I'm not even preaching on this. There was again war. Uh, this is part of what needs to be surprising maybe to us, that the Christian life, there is always an again. Always an again. There's always another conflict. There will not be one day. There was war again between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. And Ishbi-Banab, one of the descendants, or one of the sons of the giants, tradition says Ishbi-Banab is the son of Goliath. Inquiring minds want to know. So he's trained his whole life for this, according to tradition. He has wanted David his whole life, and David now is right before him. Who are the giants? I would refer you to the theology after dark on angels and demons that we did a couple of while back. Uh, I give you my opinion of who the giants are. I don't want to give you my opinion right now because it will scare you. And you'll be distracted, the whole sermon. So go look at that, have fun with it. Uh, his spearhead weighed 300 shekels of bronze. That's 7.5 pounds. If you remember, Goliath had a 15-pound spearhead on his javelin, a throwing missile. If you go to the gym sometime, those of you who go to the gym, pick up a 15-pound weight and see how far you can throw it, just for fun. Who was armed with a new sword. The Hebrew could also mean armed with new armor. In other words, he's now the most technologically advanced warrior in the ancient world. That's the point. The giant, Ishbibanab, fought to kill David. Oh, did he? <laughs> but Abishai, the son of Zeruah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. So quick. Then David's men swore to him, said, You shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. After this, there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai, the Hushathite, struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants or sons of the giants. Again, tradition says they're all sons of Goliath. And there was again the war with the Philistines at Gob. And Elkanah, son of Jari, Origim, the Bethelmite, struck down Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature, no name, but he had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, 24 digits, and he also descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, would you fill us with your spirit so that uh, you would shine on the page, that you would lighten the text, lighten our lives, enlighten us to the wonders, the worth, the work, the words of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. 
Okay, so here it is. Let the Bible surprise you. We like good surprises, right? Yes, amazing. We do not like bad surprises. No. Oh, no. So what kind of surprise is this one? Is it a good surprise or is it a bad surprise? In verse 15, there was war again between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. And David grew weary is surprising. This has never happened before. This has never happened in the Bible to David before. This is the first time we read that. David is undefeated in every battle in the Bible. David is invincible in every battle in the Bible. David is victorious in every battle in the Bible. If Paul was here, he'd say, David is more than a conqueror. He is a victorious one on top of victorious one on top of victorious one. He is preeminently victorious, undefeated, undisputed champion. So, and David grew weary is absolutely surprising, especially to the Hebrew that's reading it. And to anyone that picks up their Bible, can you imagine David's men, how surprised they were? Can you imagine David's enemies, how surprised they were? Anyone who picks up the Bible and has read any part of David's life, they get to this point and they go, that's so surprising. But most of all, it's surprising to David. The one most surprised in this whole story is David. Somewhere in the middle of the battle, you can, somewhere in the middle of it, you know that he's like, oh no, I'm weary. Somewhere in the middle of the Bible, he feels it down in his bones. Oh no, I can't do it. And that's when the giant strikes. And Ishbi Benab, one of the descendants, sons of the giants, whose spearhead weighs 300 shekels of bronze and who's armed with technologically advanced weaponry, thinks to kill David. Ishbenab has waited his whole life for this moment. He has waited his whole life for this moment. And what is this moment? It's not just to face David. It's, and David grew weary. And now he strikes. So David hears the giant roar. He sees the giant charge. Oh, no. I can't do this. So David's first encounter, what's the surprise number one? What kind of surprise is this? Well, you might recall in his first encounter in 1 Samuel 17 with a giant, it had maximum drama. Do you remember that? It actually, the camera starts with the giant, and you see him from head to toe. Then it moves to the roaring. So all sights, all senses are on this battlefield. You see a giant head to toe, invincible, undefeated. You hear it on the battlefield for two times a day, 40 days, that's 80 times, he taunts, he curses, he challenges, he roars. 
And then the scene, you can't even imagine. I mean, the scene is so imagined that the scripture wants to make it real clear. You have one army on one mountain, filling the whole mountain. You have another army on the other mountain, filling the whole mountain, and a valley between them, and one lone giant steps out and roars against the other army. And then you can feel it. You can feel the fear because the text literally says, and the army of Israel was shaking. And then David shows up. But David's second encounter with a giant right here is the bare minimum. It has Spartan details. There's no dialogue. There's no character development. Just basic information. There's no hook the heart storyline or conflict. So why the bare minimum? Because this text is about one thing and only one thing. Everything in this whole last chapters of David's life, the big surprise number one, what this what the takeaway of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, what the takeaway the author wants you to know, four dominant big ideas, four dominant thoughts, and the first one that they want you to know is he's weak. Surprise number one, David is weak. Surprise number one. Are you ready? This is the surprise for you and me. This is, what the, this is the takeaway for 1 and 2 Samuel for you right now. You grow weary. It is normal for you to say, oh no, I can't do it. Surprise number one says there's an area of your life right now where you're saying, I am growing weary. Where you're saying, oh no, I can't do this. Today's text, the Bible, God is saying to you right now, you grow weary. And you know what it wants you to do? It wants you to know that. It wants you to feel that. It's amazing. The Bible is so brutally honest and real, and so brutally honest and real in such a way that it actually, like, that's real. That's true. And it's good And so what this text is saying to you, you grow weary. And it wants you to own it. It wants you to feel it. It wants you to let it be what it is. In other words, this text is saying, be weak. This text is saying, be needy. This text is saying, be dependent. This text is saying, be broken, be ashamed, be messy, be sinful. Let it be what it is. You grow weary. Oh, no, I can't do it. Yes. This text is saying. So in campus ministry, there were these things that we used to do called summer projects. And they were kids from all over the country. College kids would apply. And you go to different areas, usually uh, beaches and places where lots of students would gather. And so I was on one of these one time uh, as a campus minister at the time. And you would get six to eight men that you would work with all summer. And so it was heavy on evangelism, discipleship, and leadership training, tons of ministry experience, tons of experience of spiritual disciplines, connecting with God, uh, relationships, and building friendships, and also an 
connecting with the, I was in Baldwin, New Jersey, the Northeastern students that would come and flock to the beaches to party and to work. And so what I did that summer is I said, well, I had to have something for the small group time. And so I used the life of David in the small group. And halfway through the summer, I could tell there was this one dude in the group who just wasn't having it. And finally, he couldn't take it anymore. And he says this. He says, why do so many Christians look up to David? I hate David. He's a beep, 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 adulterer and murderer. Why does everybody look up to him? And then later he tells me that his dad left him and his mom for another woman. You grow weary. You grow weary. Oh, no. I can't do it. So, let the Bible surprise you. Surprise number one, you grow weary. Surprise number two, look at verse 17. But Abishai, oh, I love this dude. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. What happened? Abishai happened. Abishai happened. Don't miss this. There are three more. Remember in the whole set, there are three more battles, three more giants after this one. But look how it ends in verse 22. Let's put verse 22 up there. And these four descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. This is what's so striking. This is what's so surprising. No, they didn't. David did not kill any of those giants. Not one. He did not kill Ishbanab. He did not kill Sath. He did not kill the Gittite. He did not kill the man of great stature with 24 digits. He didn't kill one giant. And David grew weary. And who does kill? His mighty men kill. His special forces kill. His loyal friends kill the giants. Abishai, Sibekai, Elahan, Jonathan. What does this mean? Surprise number two. David doesn't fight alone. David never fights alone. Surprise number one, you grow weary. Surprise number two, you never fight alone. Never. Ever. I am weary. Oh, no. I can't do this. You never fight alone. Sometimes in the Psalms, David, you know what he does? It's interesting. I always read the Psalms. I'm always reading the Psalms. I never stop reading the Psalms. And it's been striking me recently how David is so free to call upon God to be God. How he's so free to call upon God and say, Arise, God, for me. Oh, God, reach me. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, give me your righteousness. Oh, God, change my life. Oh, God, work over here. Oh, God, do what you say. Oh, God, comfort me. Be gracious to me. Be merciful to me. Oh, God, fight for me. 
because David knows he never fights alone. So you don't have a God. This is what's so and so important. You don't have a God in the Bible that's limited. Sometimes it seems like we can almost think that we're fighting alone as a Christian. And when we do so, we think he's limited. So we think that he's only there to hold our hand in our sorrow. And he's there to be with us and cry with us as we writhe in pain. But there are some other possibly greater power called free will or fate or karma or situations and circumstances or dark powers or the state where they seem to limit what God can do in your life. But what this text is saying is that the God of the Bible fights for you. He's not a limited God. And we saw that he fights for us in giant number one completely, right, where he actually does it all. But here in giant number two, we see that he fights for us, but he actually uses other people to do it. Amazing. So he still fights for you, but he fights for you by using other people. Did you know that there are 40 recorded healings by Jesus in the New Testament? And of the 40 healings, 34 of the healings were people who either brought Jesus to the sufferer or took the sufferer to Jesus. So of all the 40 healings in the Bible, only six did the sufferer make it on their own to Jesus. The God of the Bible is a God who fights for you. And many times he fights for you through others. And many times he uses you to fight for others. He uses you to sit in the ashes with others. He uses you to pray for others. He uses you to do what needs to be done for others. He uses you to actually diminish yourself emotionally, perhaps financially, to actually exalt or strengthen another human being. He uses you to speak others back to life again. He uses you to come alongside and make a friend and make a new friend. He uses you to fight for others. What happened to David? Abishai happened. Abishai. Let the Bible surprise you. Surprise number one, you grow weary. Surprise number two, you don't fight alone. What's surprise number three? Well, first you see Abishai say it, right? Remember, those of you that were with us last week, we saw Abishai in action the first time that we kind of got a real glimpse of who he is. We see him with a guy named Shimei who's cursing David and all the people that are with him as they're exiting Jerusalem because his son Absalom's coming in. So we see Abishai the first time say it. Let me cut off that dead dog's head. We see Abishai say, stop it, that's my friend. But the second time we see Abishai, he does it. Ishbanab. And why does Abishai do it? I want you to look for the most basic, elementary, historical answer in the text. Why does Abishai cut off his head? Answer, because David couldn't. The lamp of Israel couldn't. The greatest king in Israel's history couldn't. The greatest king human being possibly 
to ever walk the planet couldn't. Surprise number three. But there is one who can. So Adam couldn't. So Israel as a people couldn't. So then the next thing they did is they put their hope in a prophet to do it, and they couldn't. And then they put their hope in priests to do it, but they couldn't. And then they put their hope in kings to do it, and they couldn't. And then they put their hope finally in a king after God's own heart, and he couldn't do it. And then you come along in the history of the race called the human race, and you can't do it. But there is one who can. Do you know the most Hebrew New Testament letter, the most Israelite New Testament letter, says this about the one who can. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He did not grow weary. Despising the shame, he did not grow weary. And the result of him not growing weary is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the only one who can. This is absolutely amazing. This is absolutely breathtaking. I had a conversation yesterday with someone who's saying, how practical is this? I said, this is so practical because you can't do it. But there is someone who can. And when you actually realize there is someone who can, you settle into that, and it's a game changer. So I grow weary. Oh, no, I can't do it. I can't connect with God. I can't love God. There is someone who can. There is someone who did. I don't know how to trust God. There is someone who did. I, I want to feel loved by God and connect with them. There is someone who did. I don't know how to connect with people. I don't know how to love people. I don't know how to sit in the ashes with people. There is someone who did. I don't know how to like diminish myself to build someone else up. There is someone who did. I don't know how to serve. I don't know how to stop being selfish. There is someone who did. I don't know how to resist temptation. I don't know how to stop sinning in this area. There is someone who did. I don't know how to trust, to work, to get after it. There is someone who did. There is someone who fought for you. And he's the only one in the history of the human race who did. So no one in this room has done it. No one in the human race will ever do it. Your hope and my hope is on the death of someone who did and on the life of someone who did. That's all we got. He's the only one who can. So now what can you do? Well, when you really get that, now you can get back in the game. You're not thinking about yourself. You're not worrying about your performance. You're not trying to make something happen. You now know that someone else made it happen. All you do is get back in the game. Well, I don't know what to do. We'll go, are you married? Yes, we'll go love your wife. Do you have kids? Yes, we'll go be a good dad. Do you have a job? Yes, go work. Do you got to get up tomorrow? Yep, get up. Get back in the game. 
your spouse. You see your spouse, you see a child, you see a parent, a friend, an old friend, a church leader, a pastor, a worker grow weary. Maybe you need to say something. <laughs> Let me cut off the dead dog's head for you. Maybe that's what they need. Stop it. That's my friend. Maybe that's what they need. Or maybe they need you to do it. Maybe they need you to sit in the ashes with them. Maybe they need you to extinguish yourself to fill them up. Maybe they need you to be a good friend. Maybe they need you to listen. Maybe they need you to speak them back to life again. Maybe they just need you to be there. Maybe they need you to learn to give generously. Maybe, maybe they just need you to do it. But this is what we do know. Surprise number one, you grow weary. Surprise number two, you never fight alone. Surprise number three, there is someone who can, and he likes to use you. He loves to use you in other people's lives. So, the bear charges. Futilely, Kai knows this. I mean, he is an experienced, well-trained. Can I just say something, too? When I study these guys and I read these guys, I read about like them jumping over gorges that are longer than any world record in the long jump, just so you know. And they've had stamina to run and training in hand-to-hand combat and to be able to run with a flintlock rifle and load it and shoot on a dead run at their target. They can take knives and tomahawks at pinpoint accuracy at 20, 30 yards. So this myth that athletes are evolving and getting better and better always humors me when I read about this stuff. It's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? All right, so Kai jerks his tomahawk from his belt. That's all he's got to do. He turns to face the bear to face his end. He's just going to do what he's going to do, right? And then there's a crack behind him and a, and a lead bullet the size of an acorn strikes the only soft part in this massive bear and drops the bear about a foot from Kai's feet and he whirls around <laughs> and there's his friend Sam grinning from ear to ear. It's amazing. Let the Bible surprise you. Surprise number one, you grow weary. Surprise number two, you don't fight alone. And most of the time, God likes to use other people. Surprise number three, now you can trust the only one who can and get back in the game. Amen. Let me pray for us.